welcome to the second episode of Yeah, I've Seen That. My name's Ashley Brandt. And I'm Sandra Danda. And we're going to be talking about a movie called Force Majeure. Neither of us are French speakers, but the title is French. <laughs> but it's a Swedish language movie. Um, and it is available on Netflix. It was released last year. And it won a grand jury prize at Cannes. And was up for Best Foreign Film at the 2014-2015 Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. So this was your week to pick a movie because I think we're going to decide to switch on and off. So can you tell me a little bit about why you picked this film? So recently, yeah, I've been kind of on a Scandinavian kick of films. I've been watching a lot of... Uh, I guess Bergman is like one of my favorite directors, but I'm trying to get really into more modern Scandinavian films. And, uh, you know, actually, right now I'm watching this show called Forbrisladen, which is called The Killing. It's a really good show, a Danish show. Oh, was that Um, like the... Was that made before the American version? Yeah, that okay. was the original okay, version, and then that was how I was trying to ask. That question. Yeah, yeah, and then the U.S. <laughs> uh, obviously got it because I mean it's just a really good concept, and um, I haven't gotten through the first season yet, but it's just very melodramatic and just well scripted. Um, so yeah, I've just been on this like uh, kick trying to get into more Swedish films, Danish films, etc., and. Uh, I watched this movie a couple months ago, actually. Um, um, I watched this other movie called uh, A Pigeon Sat on the Branch Thinking About Existence by this guy named Roy Anderson. And so I got like different recommendations from different search engines and um, this movie came up and so I checked it out. And uh, I, was not, I was not displeased, I was very happy. It's a very great film. Yeah, um, I this is I've seen this on Netflix a ton of times, and Netflix was like, "You're really gonna like this movie," and I was like, busy rewatching Parks and Recreation. <laughs> but um, when I finally like started watching it, I was like, "Oh shit!" Like this is what like dialogue-driven cinema is about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I, I guess that's why I really um, I read a couple reviews of it on like Rotten Tomatoes. The New York Times wrote a good review as well. Um, and it's just, yeah, very do- dialogue-driven. Um, a lot of the story is just is moved through the vehicle of speech. Um, and the the tone of the movie is, is based on how, basically, uh, these people manipulate language. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's a dark Swedish comedy and... I find the like that description of it really interesting, like a dark comedy. Yeah. I didn't feel like it was that funny. I thought I don't know. I think you have to really look for it. Um, the second time I I watched this twice already, but the second time I caught on to, I guess the funnier parts of the film, but they're like really dark. Um, the first time, yeah, I thought it was kind of, yeah, just pretty low key, just. A lot of drama, but really bleak. very bleak. Um, but the second time around, I started noticing smaller details, and I was like, I think that is Swedish comedy <laughs> right there. <laughs> Can you name any specific details? Or um, Yeah, so I guess 
the uh, the moment where these two guys, uh, where uh, Ebo's husband, um, Tomas, Tomas, and his friend that's visiting him, Mats, the Mats. guy with the crazy beard and hair, yeah, Mats. Um, they're hanging out, and this is after they've had like a quarrel in their house about basically what the whole movie's about, uh, which I'll get to in a bit. Um, but they're just like, oh, you know, we're men, we're out here, like, just relaxing on chairs and just, like, drinking beer and very, being very doing masculine. Doing, like, dudes. Just doing, doing dudes. Yeah. And uh, this one woman approaches um, approaches uh, Tomas and says, oh, you know, one of my friends over there is, um, she thinks you're really handsome. And... And then you could see him like perk up. He he's smirks like, he's a little feeling bit. Himself. He's like really feeling himself. Exactly. <laughs> and he's just like, okay, word. It's, it's great. And then his friend's like, yeah, we're, it's like a point for the team, you know. And then she comes back like 10 <laughs> seconds later. And then she's like, oh, sorry. Actually, no, you're not the hottest guy here. We were talking about some other guy. She was, I'm sorry. And then the, the woman who... Who originally made the comment that was misinterpreted comes over and he's like, I have to personally clear this up. You are not that attractive to me. (laughs) And so I thought that was so funny. It was so uncomfortable. You you see this guy like perk up when this comment is made about him. But when she like disinflates that, he just like, you know, he just crawls under like like on his chair and just like, oh my God, what just happened? And then his other friend is like trying to protect his like his, his like masculinity sense, yeah, his yeah. masculinity is like dude do you want me to do something about it like that was you know that was messed up and then like some other guys like try to like start a beef with them and then there's this <laughs> awkward moment there's so many awkward so moments good. in this film and i love films that like really make make you feel awkward and uncomfortable <laughs> yeah <laughs> so much of like human interaction yeah, is yeah. awkward and uncomfortable but there's this moment where he's trying to thomas is trying yeah. to make his friends sit down and like not be in this fight and then Tomas just like knocks this chair over. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just thought, yeah, these. Mo- I guess the funniest moments were just like these, just like really awkward, like I don't know, just like hiatuses between the storyline. Um, and um, I guess another. Uh, I guess I like the the motif of the, of the. The aircraft the kid was flying. He has a the little drone. It's a drone. drone. Yeah, a little drone. <laughs> yeah, the drone. It just it appears at the beginning of the film. They're like playing with it, uh-huh. and then the drone comes back in the second conversation that is had with the second couple. Yeah. Um, and it just like, it yeah. kind of it it kind of breaks up the tension, but yeah, it, it also does. makes things worse in a way. <laughs> yeah, because uh, because they're having that conversation about. What would a man do if you know this force majeure is in this cir- in this circumstance this avalanche you know, um, and so they're talking about how you know a husband a man should act in this in this moment where he has to protect his family, mm-hmm. and obviously this guy, uh, Fla- flashback to like ten minutes into the movie yeah, yeah. when they think they're at this like outdoor mm-hmm. restaurant it's you know. Tomas, his wife, Ebba, their two young children, Vera and Harry, who are, like, so often reminded me in this movie why I don't want children. Mm. Um, So they're having this lunch, and Tomas starts filming what looks like a controlled, 
like uh, avalanche that's mm-hmm. happening at the mountain mm-hmm. and then the cloud of snow appears to be moving towards them and kind of envelop them so she grabs her kids and he fucking hightails it out of there <laughs> he is like gone they're like what happened to him that's where right. did he just go daddy where are you yeah and then like the dust settles and it's just like fog and mist mm-hmm. so they're not really in danger and they sit down and continue the meal mm-hmm. um but then this is what becomes the sticking point is the fact that he ran away and mm-hmm. left both her and their two children to like die in the avalanche. yeah basically um and that's what they talk about with that couple and exactly. it gets so uncomfortable because she's telling this story that's really like private and mm-hmm. like they th- this other couple Matt and fanny does not need to be involved in this yeah but she has become so it, consumed by it she's become fixated on this moment well because he just won't admit that he ran away yeah. and he could just say i did it i'm sorry yeah exactly. but it becomes this huge sticking point about like c- like constructions of familyhood mm-hmm. and like gender roles mm-hmm. in the family that's right yeah and i thought that was uh, just a riveting point uh, that we usually don't see in films. Um, but yeah, she, I don't know, it's just like a, uh, I don't know, I felt like it was also like a critique on, I don't know, just being like, obviously these people are living the life, you know, they are they have like grace and opulence, they're all just really rich people. Mm-hmm. They're in the French Alps. They're in the French Alps and they're just taking a five-day vacation, you know, in the French Alps with their family. Um, and, you know, there there's this one scene where all four of them are sleeping. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Tomas and Eva and her two children and they're just like, I mean, it looks beautiful. It looks like a, I don't know, very, very well put Yeah, it's such scene. a picturesque and very like composed picturesque. family. Exactly. And then you see that they're kind of shitty people, um, you know, like uh, yeah, they're shitty to each <laughs> other. They're shitty to their kids. Their kids are just shitty in general. Exactly. Um, like Tomas, obviously, you know, he kind of messed up by abandoning his family and taking his iPhone with him. And then Ava just like just becomes so fixated on it. Um, but I feel like I got where she was coming. Yeah, yeah, from. me too, me too. Definitely. Because I feel like he was like gaslighting her mm-hmm. really hard being yeah, like i didn't do that and i don't yeah. remember it like that why don't you just drop it you're yeah. like she had a reason to be upset about it yeah definitely but there were moments where like the kids were were neglected like the first yeah. conversation <laughs> that they both had outside of their room the guy who was cleaning their room was in there and, and they their were kids were just chilling and just being really pissed off about the fact that their parents are out there and neglected them with the with the house cleaner and that guy is creepy. Like, I took specific note. There's this scene where he is smoking indoors mm-hmm. and, like, watching them from a floor above because there's that big open space mm-hmm. where you can see between floors. Um, and they're arguing. The couple is arguing, and they're, like, see that guy, and they're, like, oh, we should ask for privacy. And they ask for privacy, and he lets a cloud of smoke out of his mouth, but in this very controlled way mm-hmm. where he, like, is in a position to suck it back into his mouth. It's a very weird yeah, yeah, smoke trick from like like a villain in a Disney movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, he was a very eerie character, but just like little moments like this. And then like at the end of the film when the bus, uh, the bus driver is having a hard time uh, maneuvering the, the bus, uh, Ebba is like, let me off 
the bus, but she doesn't necessarily say, let me and my children, my husband off. She neglects them for her own safety. So then... I think there's like a little bit more to that because mm-hmm. earlier, just going through the series of events, so we have um, the avalanche happens, what, day one? Mm, day one? And then we spend several days just talking about the fact that this happened yeah. and like what, like who feels what about mm-hmm. what happened. And then on the last day, they're going down the slope, there's clouds and mist, or there's fog and mist everywhere they can't see. Mm-hmm. And so he, Tomas is at this point admitted that he ran away because they saw the iPhone video. <laughs> and he cannot deny that he ran away. Um, so then they're going down this hill and then suddenly Eva's not there. Mm-hmm. And Tomas leaves his children there. His children are young ass children. They've got a toddler and like a six year old or something yeah. like that who are constantly playing with iPhones when they're yeah. not like skiing and bothering their parents. Exactly. Um, he leaves his two children there and is just like, stay there, stay there, goes into the mist to get mm-hmm. his wife. And then he's like carrying her when he comes back and you're like, what happened? Like, did she break her leg? Did something happen? But then she just gets up and like has to walk back to get her skis. Yeah. And then it, it was as if she created this artificial situation where he wanted, she wanted him for him to reclaim his manhood or something. Yeah. It was the weirdest thing. Yeah. Well, ever. <laughs> and then she stands up and says, "Okay, is everybody happy now?" Because the other thing that yeah, happened yeah. the night before that I think is significant, and we're jumping around in time a lot, but this happens at the end of day four, is he? They have a day apart. This mm-hmm. is the day that he spends with his guy friend Matts. Yeah, yeah. And he comes back and he's trying to get into the room and he can't find them, and they're just like hanging out doing other stuff. So then he like sits out there and is really sad and like my family left me yeah. as he left them. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then he like they come back, and they all reconvene and he thinks that this is a big deal. This isn't a big deal to her. Mm-hmm. He pulls her into the hallway and he cries like a child. Yeah. He sobs like a two year old having a tantrum and she's trying That's to like right. cover his mouth. She's trying like to get him embarrassed, to calm down. dude. She's really <laughs> embarrassed. She has the look of like. She's like, please don't embarrass me. Like, like a mom at a grocery store. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and then when they go into the room, he continues to do it. He tries to take off his shirt and gets it stuck over his head. Like he's really <laughs> self-infantilizing himself. And this is after she had already been like, you're, you're faking this. You're not upset. Yeah. You're just doing this to get my sympathy. Exactly. And then the kids get involved. And they're like, yeah. daddy, what's wrong? And they're all like huddled around him. And they insist on their mother joining this circle. Yeah. And I think that that's really key to what happens on the fifth day at the slopes because the kids want this sense of resolution and Mm -hmm. the sense of family and they want her to perform this mother role in Mm -hmm. the way that they've conceived of it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's a big part of why she would create that situation. Exactly. Yeah, just to restore harmony again, but within the restrictions of what society already puts on people so like yeah the for, like that's why i think the title force majeure so it's such a nice it's such a good title obviously the avalanche is your no your your physical force majeure so force majeure in french means act of god yeah or it's the equivalent it's not yeah. a direct translation yeah exactly and uh but she herself i mean uh is like a force majeure like mm-hmm. she she you know she stirs the pot. She wants it. She wants for there to be conversation. She 
you know, she, I guess, had she not been, um, I don't know, had she been another type of female character, maybe they would, uh, she wouldn't have, you know, given a damn. Or say that the the movie went another way, where the husband was the one who saved the kids in oh, that situation. Yeah. There would be no film, you yeah. know, because it's like okay, he did his job, whatever. Yeah, you know. But it's I, I mean, but this became a film obviously because there's so much more to go off when when the the man doesn't act the way he's supposed to, you know, societally mm-hmm. wise. And it puts it it makes her reflect on her like conception of herself as a as a mother and as a wife. Mm-hmm. But before we get too far into that, I actually wanted to bring this up with you. So the title in Swedish is Tourist. Did Tourist. you know that? No, I did not know that. Yeah, that's the title in Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Which is like very different. Um, yeah. And I wonder if they changed the title outside of Sweden so it people wouldn't confuse it with like that Johnny Depp Angelina Jolie movie that everyone hated whoa yeah I saw that it was bad it's very bad film people had really high hopes for that movie it was like the two hottest stars because like Brad Pitt wasn't attractive at that point he had like a really (laughs) gross beard right then yeah yeah it was terrible it was bad Um, but yeah that to me like putting the title tourist on that film makes it a mm -hmm. totally different film and yeah, makes definitely. it much more, um, like, I hate to use this word, but I'm going to use this word, pedestrian. Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, I don't like it very much. <laughs> I yeah. like the force majeure a force lot majeure. more just because it ties the, it just ties the whole arc of the film. Because mm-hmm. um, there's, like, different sense, senses of force majeure. It's defined in different ways throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Um but tourist is like, it's so boring and yeah, it's like, it's like a movie no about insight. like bourgeois society. Yeah, yeah, and like we, suburban identity. Yeah. It's not a movie about gender and yeah, like yeah. selfhood and family. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, and I think those are like the biggest uh, concepts of of the film. But let's go back to the gender thing. Yeah, um, there's so much going on. Yeah, the uh, the first uh, she runs, uh, Ebba runs into one of her friends, mm-hmm. and uh, she's in an open relationship. She's married. She has she's kids. Married, she has kids, and she's in an open relationship. And she's at this uh, hotel in the Alps, just you know, having a grand old time with, with her American and Italian American lovers. American and Italian lovers, and um, yeah, it's fascinating how uncomfortable Ebba gets when they're having that yeah. conversation. Um, and her friends like I solely do not define myself as being just a mother. I have it right here. It says she says I can't build my whole self-esteem on being a woman in a relationship or being a mother. Exactly. She was a lot of what she was saying was basically like my kids will be happy regardless of whether I'm having sexual relationships outside of my marriage. Yeah. And the other I think the really big sticking point was that her husband, I mean her husband was also in the open part of the open relationship. Mm-hmm. He was presumably having relationships with other women yeah. as well. Yeah. And she was fine with it. Mm-hmm. And that was, I think, a big sticking point of the discussion, along with the idea that an open relationship somehow disrupts the welfare of the children. That's right. And if you do recall, uh, in the ending scene where they're uh, all leaving the bus because 
Ebba insists that it's dangerous to be mm-hmm. on the bus. She's the only, uh, Ebba's friend, the one who's having uh, an open relationship, she's the only one who's left on the bus. She's still on it. Yeah, I thought, I was kind of disconcerted by what that seemed to symbolize. I, 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 I think I read into it too much, but I don't know, just she... Well, yeah, go ahead. I don't know, I just think that she's definitely not part of this, like, she doesn't fit the structure that's given, that's, like, implied of her gender. She just, like, she's pretty ruthless. She kind of, uh, she takes a lot of risks. She, she doesn't really go with the crowd, and I thought that was, like, distinct about her personality. And that's why he thought she was still on the bus, because she had no kids to, like, give a, you know, give a shit yeah, about. Yeah, her kids weren't with her. Her kids weren't with her. She had nobody to look after except for herself. Mm-hmm. So she was like, whatever. You know, I have no attachments. And I guess that's why she probably stayed on the bus, but, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I feel like it comes down to whether, like, uh, I think a big defining part of how we conceive of that scene and what what the film is saying about her character is whether we think that the film believes that the bus is dangerous or not. We know that mm-hmm. Ebba thinks it's dangerous. We know she convinces everyone else through mass hysteria that it's dangerous. Yeah. But is it actually dangerous? Because I feel like if she's the only character left on this bus with this incompetent bus driver that's mm-hmm. maybe going to tumble down the Alps, mm-hmm. that's saying something negative about the way she's conducting herself and her relationships, that she continues on this sort of dangerous path. Mm-hmm. But if we s- conceive of the movie that's as right. suggesting that this is just Ebba's hysteria kind of bubbling over... Yeah. Um, and that really it's safe and that we should maybe be more accommodating of the fact that this is a difficult situation that this guy's handling. Mm-hmm. Then that's saying that, you know, Ebba's friend has this more adventurous, permissive life mm-hmm. and she's less, she, she doesn't work herself up in the same way that Ebba does and she's not part of this mass hysteria mm-hmm. that breaks out. Exactly. But, I mean, you've seen the movie twice. How do you, how do you think the movie is pre- presenting that situation. Uh, yeah, I guess I saw it. I saw this duality as well. Um, and I've read um, a couple of, I guess I was in a couple of New York Times uh, like commenting sections, and a lot of people, yeah, were pretty puzzled. They were like, well, it, it didn't seem like a dangerous uh, bus situation because there's, uh, like, the cliffs had... Um, Kind of there were like guardrails yeah guardrails and they're and it's just like oh the it didn't seem dangerous and yeah he was just a poor driver but they were they wouldn't fall off the cliff or anything um but yeah part of me just thought that she was yeah just being hysterical um but at the same time you know i don't really blame ebba just because that that one faltering notion of their relationship just made everything so uneasy for yeah the rest i mean they said that you know that moment where she's rescued in the snow it's supposed to be like the like i don't know it's supposed to mend things but i still think there's still like just notions of like instability because mm-hmm. after this you know as they're walking through the crowd um waiting to get other modes of transportation. This guy offers uh, her husband the cigarette. Tomas a cigarette. And the guy's like, oh, do you smoke? And obviously this guy 
was never portrayed in the in the movie as a smoker. So we know he's not a smoker. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy's like, yeah, of course I smoke. And it's just like, that's such a uh, hyper-masculine thing to do yeah. and like smoke in front of your son and be very open about it. So it's like, <laughs> I don't know, like you expected a bit of change um, in regards to them perceiving or like seeing how fluid their gender is or seeing that gender's not restricted. Um, but it was still uncomfortable that he's just like, yeah, I smoke. And it was this like masculine thing. And then she was this still a hysterical woman. Mm-hmm. And so not much changed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that this movie is taking on like gender in family roles because mm-hmm. I think um, as young people, when we talk about gender a lot, we're talking about gender expression and sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. And we're we're not talking about like the family unit. Yeah. We we're, we're not at the head of that. We're not close <laughs> to being yeah. at the head of that. Exactly. Um but it was interesting to see like that um that quote from Ebba's friend like mm-hmm. put so much of the movie into perspective for me. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that the contrast between the other couples was interesting like we have Ebba's friend and then we have Matt's and Fanny, who seem to be Thomas's friends, mm-hmm. Tomas's friends, um, and they, the movie lingers on them a little harder than on Ebba's friend because the conversation that they have about the avalanche ultimately ruptures their relationship for this brief moment, and mm-hmm. it's also interesting because Matz is, you know, a 30-something divorcee who has children that he doesn't have custody of at the moment. Um, and his girlfriend is much younger. She's 20. Yeah. <laughs> she's a child. And yeah. she's standing there being like, you're not going to protect your kids. You don't have custody of your kids. Your mother, you know, their mother is raising them. What are you talking about? Yeah. And I think ultimately, you know, they move past that in a way that, you know, Tomas and Eva can't. Mm-hmm. But we do see Mats taking control on the bus and being like, the women and children are getting off first. Don't work yourself into a panic. Yeah, definitely. And I thought, and I definitely saw that Fanny, I guess, uh, she, she just felt like a sense of relief being like, okay, so he's not a coward. Like, it's fine. Like, he's proven himself through yeah. this action. But it's so, I mean, it's so uncomfortable seeing that, you know, uh, that a lot of these females, like, in the movie they just need to see like one sign of of bravery and they're like okay i'm pretty convinced but i think with ebba you know she, ebba was not convinced i don't even think till the end you know no she, she just did it for the the family dynamic she just wanted yeah, to preserve it was a performance it was a performance but ebba is still yeah she's pretty uh taken aback and i and i don't know obviously there's no second film but i could just see <laughs> you know, a couple years from now, yeah, it's just probably just not going to work out for this couple. Because he also confesses to a lot more stuff than being a coward when he's sobbing in front of their hotel yeah. room. He, like, is ashamed of himself because he cheats during games with his children, which, yeah. like, your kids are really little. Like, what could you poss- What could they possibly have over you? Yeah. And then he makes this reference to being unfaithful. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how that's being translated because yeah. they're – language do they speak? Swedish. Okay. Yeah. Because there's 
Swedish, French, Norwegian, and English, English in this movie. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of languages being yeah. spoken. Um, so I don't know if that's an issue of translation, but he seems to be confessing this unfaithfulness that ultimately maybe doesn't bear on the issue at hand, but I can't imagine that Eva's yeah. just going to let that go. Yeah, I didn't know how to read into that either because I thought maybe unfaithfulness as in being not faithful and there being a good relationship or not faithful yeah. in the fact that... Being unmonogamous. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I didn't know how to read that either. Um, but, yeah, there's definitely, like, a sense of him trying to, like, compensate for not not upholding the standard of chivalry and, like, the standard of, of the hero, you know? And he ultimately turns to self-infantilization mm-hmm. to resolve that. Yeah. And thinking it, his performance when he's crying and, like, being upset and, like, can't take his shirt off and ultimately, mm-hmm. like, calls the attention of his young children mm-hmm. to his distress, like, that to me really um, is juxtaposed to, like, her performance mm-hmm. of being in distress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but when she's in distress, you know, when she's having... I mean, because... This is a performance when he's in front of his children uh, crying. But then when she's with uh, with these two couples and she talks about what happened in, with the avala- avalanche, that too in itself is a performance. But she seems to be like a crazy, hysterical woman. That's how everyone perceives her. But then when he's in like hysterics, mm-hmm. he's like, oh, this... The innocent father, you know. Vulnerability. Vulnerable. Oh, wow. Like, our father has Noble. fallen. And yeah. so it's just so crazy how that's juxtaposed. Because she, she's always going to be the hysterical woman. Woman, Her children are always going to be like, oh, m- our mom is just, like, crazy. But when the father finally tumbles, everyone's like, oh, my God. It's like an angel's fallen. It's like so... <laughs> an angel's fallen. It's just so crazy. Yeah. And when the little girl, Vera, is, like, pulling her mom over there and she's mm-hmm. like you have to come you have to be here for 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 dad and you yeah. have to rectify the family unit yeah. that was so like i that was a great i think choice on the part of the director mm-hmm. um and the screenwriter because that's really i think complicating the relationship between parent and child exactly. because it ultimately i think a lot of the pressure that ebba feels comes from these implicit ideas of like childhood happiness that she has exactly and i remember this scene because i guess these uh the notion of being a man and a hero what i saw starts off at a very small age um for example when after uh tomas and uh, ebba have a fight um there tomas is up on the ski lift with both of his kids but his son doesn't want to get on. And his father's like, why? But I feel like the kid was probably like, I don't want to get on because, you know, it's scary. But he was just like, no, it's because I think you guys are going to get divorced. And it's probably like trying to cover, I don't know, just like this kid is trying to cover his fear of heights mm-hmm. with what is at hand now, the divorce. I don't know. So I just read into that and I was like, yeah, this kid's like picking up on what his father is doing. What his father's afraid of. Exactly. And so, yeah, I just saw that, and I was just like, that's pretty, that's pretty insane. Oh, um, I just, I was looking at my notes, and um, I forgot this. Thomas says, 
I'm a victim too after he confesses to everything terrible that he's ever done in his yeah. life. <laughs> no, also great line from Thomas was, you can't run in ski boots. Yes. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great line. Um, can we actually talk about, well, first I want to talk about the awkward moment where they're singing happy birthday in the restaurant and it interrupts that tense ass conversation, mm -hmm. but then they all have to, like, that's such a real moment. Yeah. Also, did you know that the happy birthday song was not in the public domain until like a couple of weeks ago? Oh yeah, I heard about it. <laughs> yeah, so the producers for this movie paid some real ass money to sing the birthday song. <laughs> Word. <laughs> yeah, that was cinematically, it was beautiful. You know, you saw the reflection of, of the rest of the restaurant, but just their own uh, individual faces. Um, and like after she's like still like awkwardly smiling throughout the scene and then yeah. he's like oh i think you've had enough wine oh my god what a patronizing thing to say to someone yeah. and she's just like dude but i think the movie does a really good job of like bringing in these really tense moments that also like draw the audience in like you kind of have to hear this awkward birthday happening and like stare at these people having these emotional moments and you feel like a guest at their table and you want to get up and go but you can't exactly oh my god exactly i love when cinema like makes you feel socially uncomfortable because it's such a familiar sensation yeah. but directors are so reticent to do that to their audiences mm -hmm. and really engage with them in that way exactly. because otherwise the viewing experience is so comfortable yeah and it doesn't challenge you exactly yeah, I mean, that's why I, I like this film a lot. Just, I mean, every, like every 10 minutes, I was just like, what is happening? So awkward. This is the most awkward thing that's happened all week, you know? <laughs> it's not real, but okay. Um, yeah, but that scene was just, it was so beautiful. Um, also, there, that, that scene where she's peeing in the snow and also crying, very beautiful. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and, like, her children and her husband are, like, at a distance. Yeah. And she's just, like, peeing in the snow and, like, very upset and, like, watching them. Like, that's a human moment. Yeah. I was just like, wow, that was beautiful. It's like tears coming out everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And that was the comedy portion of our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Um, can we also talk about the pink and the blue color scheme? Yeah. Um, that was my first big tip off to like the importance of gender as a theme because she, Ebba, is usually wearing a pink coat or a pink fleece mm -hmm. and Tomas is always wearing blue mm -hmm. and Harry also wears blue. I didn't always get a good glance at Vera. Mm -hmm. I think she does wear a lot of pink. Yeah. And it's in a sense really overt. Um, maybe someone could argue that it's kind of hitting you over the head with the themes of the movie. But I also like when I first had that thought dismissed it, so I was like, they can't, that's too, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I felt like there was a payoff because at the end, in that final scene in the mist, um, yeah. Ebba is wearing a gray jacket. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then I guess that, and gray is just, uh, just like a, you know, like gray is what? It's like not feminine, it's not masculine, it's like, it's removed. It's removed, yeah, exactly. So I don't know what, what that's supposed to mean. Yeah. But yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah. 
But yeah, the cinematography is just great. It um, reminded me a lot of Ex Machina. Yeah, that's I think right. mostly because of like the mountains. Yeah, the mountains. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just very refined, good cuts. Um, just beautifully, just beautifully made. Um, the uh, I like the the cuts where they had like the information about the mountains, mm-hmm. like Bienvenue and like Welcome Sin, like the signs. I like the signs in the movie. I don't yeah. know why. It's really captivating. Um, the lo- the hotel that they were shooting in was also beautiful. Yeah. And it was interesting to me that the hotel room that they were staying in seemed kind of endless and vastless that's right because they did so many close-up shots it was hard to be like well this room is next to that room or this is where this doorway is and like was there a kitchen in their hotel room like that was never clear to me because there's apparently a dining table in there exactly but yeah everything just very symmetrical very endless there's smoke there so i was thinking maybe in the middle there's there's obviously it was like when you went outside you were outside, right? Like, it's not... Um, Do you think it's, like, open air? I thought it was open air. Why else would the guy be smoking? Because he's a creepy dude. Yeah, that's true. But no, I... But th- also, I there would know. be, like... I feel like they wouldn't... Then everything would get damaged because of the snow and water. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm. I think he's just a creepy dude. <laughs> Weird. Can you smoke indoors in France? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, there we go. This is in France. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, but I just thought maybe somewhere like a ski resort, you you wouldn't smoke. But um, no, nah. that guy was creepy. So this is France. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, oh, sorry. I'm just looking back at my notes um, on that scene with Tomas crying again, and I have this other note. She, Eba, in that scene acts as both a mother and a wife to Tomas, mm-hmm. which is avoiding. Both things that her friend doesn't want to do, doesn't want to define herself as at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, like, that scene expresses a lot of, like, the pressures that women feel in relationships with men, where they're expected to be, like, girlfriend, mother, and, like, somehow know not to be, when not to be one or the other, Mm -hmm. when you don't get a lot of clues. That's right. And... And it's it's funny how in moments where uh, nature overtakes people, these re- gender roles just disappear. You know, it's like you know, uh, obviously the the most important scene in the movie when he runs away from his family. Um, but people don't know how they're gonna act in these moments of with until they act until they act, and then you know your whole identity comes into question because you acted at that one at that one moment yeah and the implication i think is supposed to be that this it's the it's the id it's the person that the ego and the super ego are confining and hiding and the id is real exactly um and that's crazy just because the notion that yeah you can't control nature which is you know uh, our surroundings uh natural disasters etc but part of nature is human nature so you can't control that either you you don't know what what's going to happen like when these instances occur, you mm-hmm. don't know how you're going to react, you know, and obviously it's kind of hard to say that that Tomas was wrong maybe in acting that way, 
Um, obviously, it's like really uncomfortable to see that he just like ran, got his yeah. iPhone. But at the same time, it's just like, how can you judge someone in that moment? It's just like, yeah. And I do think that the sticking point for Ebba really became the fact that he wouldn't admit to it. Yeah. Um, but that's it's interesting because it's these things. Because what this suggests is that we ultimately don't know ourselves as well as mm-hmm. we think we do. And there was this really interesting episode of Invisibilia, which is a podcast by NBR about thoughts and like how psychologists or like psychology as a discipline conceives of thoughts. And you know, Freud bringing in this idea that your thoughts define you and you sit on a couch and you talk about them and you discover mm-hmm. things about yourself. Um, but there is, um, a subset of obsessive compulsive disorder called intrusive thought disorder, mm-hmm. wherein people um, have these thoughts of like doing bad things to themselves or to other people, and they obsess about them. And what um, psychology has sort of unearthed about this disorder is it's not the people who are susceptible to doing those things that have these obsessive thoughts, it's people who are so deeply uncomfortable with the thought of having the thought Mm-hmm. that become obsessed and can't get out of the loop of thinking these thoughts. Yeah. Um, and it ultimately brings into question, like, do our thoughts tell us about our identity and, like, what is our identity and how are we constructing it? And is there a way to construct it differently than we have been? Mm-hmm. Um, can we be selective about it? How much can we know about ourselves? Yeah, exactly. Um. Yeah, yeah, I recently read a couple short stories by Hemingway. Um, And yeah, a lot of people don't like Hemingway, but uh, yeah, this movie just reminded me of Hemingway just because in a lot of his short story, he he portrays himself as super hyper-masculine and he does outdoor stuff and he's the one who defines like the margins of the relationship, et cetera. but when I saw this, I mean, it's not that I dislike Hemingway, um, but I don't know, it's just like a breath of fresh air knowing that Hemingway doesn't speak for all men. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's this movie is just great. Um, yeah. Just, uh, I think everyone should go watch this movie. It's on Netflix. It's and that's why Netflix. we chose it. We're going to try to choose things that are accessible to viewers mm-hmm. we might choose some stuff that are that's in theaters but we're yeah. gonna be looking a lot at like netflix and amazon mm-hmm. prime yeah um one other thing i read about this movie and i totally should have checked this source and i didn't was um that a lot of this movie was inspired by viral youtube videos not viral like the movies I people read about yeah. that too and i thought it was interesting you know it starts with tomas filming the avalanche uh-huh. and then uh, during the bus scene there's yeah. someone filming, filming the bus That's as right. they leave, you know, on an iPhone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I guess that kind of amplifies and magnifies um, per- the idea of, like, social performance. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, when that's happening, you're not just being – you're not performing for the people around you. You're performing for this huge global audience that you can't anticipate. Exactly. And you can't really – uh, the camera really is the proof uh, in the pudding because you can't really, you know, once you see something on camera, you can't really hide from it. Uh, for example, Tomas, like, it, the proof was there that he ran away from his family. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, ver- you can't argue the fact 
that this uh, footage exists. So it's hard to hide from, yeah, from me from the media, like in a way. I don't know. Yeah, talk technology. technology. I mean, like they have a drone that they play with. Yeah, their kids are always on iPads, always. which I'm personally fine with. I don't see the problem with a kid playing on yeah. an iPad. Yeah, but either. there's something about the way that like technology inter disrupts our social interactions yeah. that makes people deeply uncomfortable, and it's usually something I'm fine with. Yeah, and then I the controlled avalanches were also like Whoa. artificial. Like, everything is so artificial. Like, everything's constructed already. Yeah. But, yeah, it's an artificial avalanche. And so even nature isn't necessarily nature. So this isn't necessarily, a, you know, yeah, your typical force majeure. Because it's just like, it was a controlled avala avalanche that almost was not controlled. Um, but it wasn't your typical avalanche. It was a controlled avalanche that... Uh, resembled something like a force majeure. But it's know? also done to like make that environment more pleasant for yeah, the skiers. Exactly. Which is so, oh my God. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's so uncomfortable. That's very yeah, it's, well. oh my, that really like makes me feel, that really just like heightens the themes about um, like performance and like construction and like mm -hmm. what is nature and what is our nature. Exactly. Um, and ultimately, like, I'm really interested in, like, because we've talked a lot about, like, specific instances of gender and, like, what this movie is saying. But what does, like, the narrative on the whole seem to tell us? Because it starts with this failure to conform mm -hmm. masculinity, conform to familial masculinity. And then Ebba is the one who becomes uncomfortable and starts mm -hmm. to think about, like, what does it mean to be a wife? What does it mean to be a mother? Um, and, he, you know, then we have... Tomas's self-infantilization, we have the fake damsel, and it seems like the only way to rectify his initial failure is for her to perform the damsel in distress act, mm -hmm. and then ultimately we see her on the bus mm -hmm. leave without the children, and is it, is it that we learn about self-preservation? Mm-hmm. Is it that ultimately th that's this universal and that in a given situation that could be anyone? Mm -hmm. Or is it that she's been kind of disabused of this notion of femininity and motherhood? Mm -hmm. Or are we supposed to like turn a critical eye to her? Like what is the movie trying to tell Whoa. us about that final scene? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think her character definitely changes from the beginning where Basically, her identity is held by the fact she's a mother and a wife. And that's why she gets so peeved by her friend's uh, conversation mm -hmm. on having you know, many lovers, et cetera, and being, being in an open relationship. But by the end, it's almost like she's trying to get away from that. And that's why it wasn't too surprising to me when she was like, okay, I need to get off this bus but she doesn't mention her children or her husband. It's as if she's just kind of detached herself from the expectation of what she should be. Maybe this woman, in a way, subconsciously got to her, or she started to reevaluate her life as just an individual, not as being part of the unit of the family. Yeah. Maybe that's what the gray means. Yeah, yeah, probably. But yeah, she definitely just, stri she strikes me as somebody who just was like, 
you know, yeah, I'm going to preserve myself, but totally forget about my kids and my husband. And then, yeah, so I don't know. That's like the one dramatic like change in, in character development I saw. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I wanted to talk about was the that the YouTube video, not the YouTube video, the iPhone video, provides that objectivity. And I like that the choice that they made ultimately wasn't, um, oh, it could be, it's ambiguous. Maybe he was running away. Maybe it's an undeniable fact. Mm -hmm. And I think that this would have been a very different movie, an easier movie to make, um, and ultimately a less satisfying movie if it had been like, well, maybe both of them are wrong. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Because that would have really, I think, heightened um, the ability to read Ebba as like a hysterical woman who mm-hmm. whose opinions and views we can dismiss. Yeah. And she, I mean, yeah, the notion that she's portrayed as a hysterical woman, but having her ask her husband to be like, hey, we are both there. This is what happened. We are, we're, it's the same story for both of us. Um, and him trying to dismiss that is just like, missing her credibility um so yeah had the movie just been like okay it's all just like up in the air we don't really know life is subjective you know exactly then she would have just come off as like a crazy woman uh Mm -hmm. and he would have just come off as like oh you know we should sympathize yeah and like hubie yeah i could see so many readings of that version of the movie where it's like he's being rational and she's over emotional and those are just like Really exactly. misogynist stereotypes of, of men mm-hmm. and women. Yeah. Um, have you seen Queen of Earth? Um, so this movie came out a few weeks ago, and it has Elizabeth Moss in it. And, and it's, a, it's a movie about female friendship. Mm. But the performance, Ebba's performance in this movie, I don't remember the actress's name, really reminds me of a lot of what's going on in that movie with mm. like um, emotions and how we deal with other people. Um, mm-hmm. And specifically, like, this idea of, like, feminine emotion um, and, like, women feeling strong feelings and how that's kind of expected from from a woman, but at the same time, it's sort of um, discouraged. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think I have a, a striking scene is when, um, yeah, when her husband is crying, like, hysterically, and she's just like, you know, get your shit together. Just oh stop my god! Wait, had that scene been that. reversed? Yeah. In gender? Oh my god! That would have been really horrible. That would have been <laughs> so different. Yeah. Which I don't know. Like even herself, maybe subconsciously, was upholding this sense of like, oh, man should like not crumble. A man should like stand. But it is, it's a reversal of the gendered expectations because yeah. he's having this breakdown from her family, exactly. and she's being very calm Mm -hmm. and reasonable Mm -hmm. and just not engaging with this performance and her children don't know that their father is engaging in this emotional manipulation um but i think had the roles been reversed it would be like oh you know he's a comforting strong presence Mm -hmm. in this emotional scene yeah whereas in this scene it's read as her being cold yeah and emotionally withholding yeah yeah it's not very maternal and it's it's as if reason can only exist if, if man, if if male, if the male can be submerged, like if the male is not at his like full potential, can mm-hmm. reason can the reason of a female like come to light? Yeah. Um, 
And so only in these moments, and then it's just like, yeah, just very uncomfortable because uh, a lot of people would perceive, I mean, I read through a lot of these comments in the New York Times um, critique of this film. And a lot of people are like, oh, wow, she's just like not sensible. She's like, she's just like a very rough woman and she doesn't know how to sympathize and she's a horrible <laughs> mother. And it's like, what it was like, who's just what like. What movie did you watch? Yeah, I was like, do you, are you not seeing this? I thought like the most intelligent people in America read the New York Times, but obviously it's just like, <laughs> obviously not. Um, That's really interesting though. <laughs> I mean, I would expect people to believe that. Mm -hmm. And I would expect people to, like, take to their computers to write about it because, like, what else do misogynists do these days? Yeah, exactly. But if you are if you watch the movie without thinking, like, if you just watch it for, for its aesthetic, uh, for its aesthetic appeal and for its dialogue and stuff, maybe some people will just, like, lean on the fact that these stereotypes exist and not think about the film yeah. as a whole. And, and they'd be like, okay, and they'd be like, oh, this is a great movie. But this movie isn't great because it's like aesthetically pleasing or anything, or the screenplay is good. It's just like, yeah, it just arises questions we don't necessarily ask mm -hmm. of each other on a daily basis because, I don't know, nobody really asks about the social norms. We kind of just accept them, but this movie just brings that to light, and it's uncomfortable because it's uncomfortable that we don't talk about this stuff yeah, on a exactly. regular basis. And that's why I think it's so it's just like a striking film. Yeah. I'm really glad you chose this. Yeah, no, definitely. It's a really good film. Yeah. Um, also, if you guys are in Portland, there's a Scandinavian film fest at the Northwest Film Center, I believe. It oh. starts on the 23rd. Um, but they'll be showing a lot of independent films from all parts of Scandinavia. I think, I believe it's $8 for students. Um, and there's a lot of really good uh, like um, uh, synopsis for all these films on the website. Um, and I'll probably be checking them out. And Ashley probably come with me too. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and we have not, do you have anything else you wanna say about the film? No, I just say, uh, you know, I love dialogue dri driven films. So this is the type of film that I like, something like a separation, um, from Asghar Fahadi. So I just love dialogue-driven films. Mm -hmm. um, beautifully made film. Um, and yeah, if you liked what we talked about in this podcast, you'll probably like the movie more. Yeah, yeah, watch it before, watch it after. I would say watch the movie first. Yeah. I love watching movies without knowing anything about them. Yeah, exactly. I hate knowing things about movies when I see oh. them because then you're, well, because then, it's like overhyped or mm -hmm, like you're mm -hmm. waiting for this twist and you're like, how are they setting it up? I enjoy things so much more when I'm just like in that yeah. moment. That's what I, that's how I felt about Birdman. I had no expectations. I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what the Birdman was. And then it's just like, bam, and it yeah. just hit me and it was great. It was we great saw that experience. together. Yeah, we did. Beautiful. Um, I think this movie also raises like some questions that I would be interested in going over just quickly. The title thing and how titles prime us to think about movies mm -hmm. i don't have a lot of comments about that right now but i would love to like meditate on that and think about that in another podcast mm -hmm. definitely yeah i recently just um read an article about that how movies uh, american movies are given different titles in a lot of european countries but they're very simplified 
Um, there's simplified titles from what the title is actually. Um, and I don't know if it's as captivating, but since it's in English, it already has that like foreign allure. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess that's why a lot of English speaking people love French phrases. Yeah. So if we see a movie with a French phrase, we'll probably watch it because we're like, it's foreign. That's smart. Yeah, it's <laughs> smart. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to learn how to pronounce this for my next dinner party. Exactly. Um, I think we should definitely return to that for a later film. And the other thing um, that I'm sure this will come up, uh, we were just talking about those New York Times comments. Mm -hmm. um, and it's so interesting to me when movies can be read on those two different levels and there's a surface level and then there's the kind of secondary level where you're, you know, it's like Barth's mythology. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's literal meaning and then there's dissecting like what that meaning means in this context and like how that's being made and like what that means mm -hmm. for the ultimate idea or concept of the film. Um, and I have like mixed feelings about movies that are purposefully made so that they can be read on those two levels where directors just sit back and it's like, you know, it's whatever you want. It means what, it, what you think it means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that puts a little bit more faith in the American audience than there need be. Mm -hmm. And I think that's specifically relevant to films like this where it's about deconstructing gender on that secondary level where you're really engaging with the themes of the film and the performances and the dialogue mm -hmm. versus that surface level where it's about upholding Exactly. gender roles yeah, yeah. Um, and I just like I, I go back and forth between like thinking that like that engagement is important and then thinking that like audiences aren't smart enough and that that surface level reading ultimately reinforces these dangerous notions yeah like, exactly um, yeah I went to the Portland Film Festival uh, a couple months in February and I remember going to watch this Bulgarian film, which was uh, given a good uh, rating by the New York Times, um, and just a great film. I, I enjoyed it. But I remember uh, stumbling upon this woman who's just like, um, she's like, I'm never going to go to the country of Georgia. It just looks so dangerous. And it's like, and I, I had talked to this woman. I was like, are you, are you for real? It's like, you totally overlooked the like strong female protagonist plot line. You overlooked that, and and all you can talk about is how Georgia is a dangerous country. And she's like, yeah, I, I've never, I've been to other parts of Europe, but never, I would never go to Georgia. And it's just like, wow, you, you really just get what you want to get from cinema. That's you know? true. That's really um, true. So I don't know. I'm sure that'll come up again in later episodes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So. Um, Stay tuned for continuations of those discussions. Mm -hmm. We haven't picked what movie we're going to do next. It's kind of my pick, yeah. but I'm holding out for Beasts of No Nation, so there might be some moving around oh, so yes. we can make sure that we get that. Yeah. Um, so follow us on Twitter um, mm -hmm. at Yeah, I've Seen That. We're also on Tumblr at Yeah, I've Seen That mm -hmm. and on Facebook. Right. Um, Facebook.com slash Yeah, I've Seen That. So we will be announcing what movie we're going to do about mm -hmm. a week ahead, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and give you guys plenty of time to watch the films, and we'll probably be posting some articles and stuff beforehand yeah. to refer to. Um, yeah, and you can find me on Twitter at Ashley Brandt. And at Sands of Time 123. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks. <laughs>